0: It's always a privilege to be here. This is just kind of like my, one of my homes away from home. And Brett and Cynthia, Jim and Angie are among Kathy and I's dearest friends in the world. Um, I cannot count the times they've helped us, loved us. Kathy's here with me. She was here last night and she'll be in the last two services. For some reason, she didn't want to hear me speak five times. I'm a little surprised about it. But anyway, so it's honestly so great to be here. Kathy grew up in this area in Falls Church, and so my, one of my, our children, Peter, went to school and this was his church, and this is the church from which he was sent to the mission field. He lives in the Middle East, and so I'm always happy to be here. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this great people, this great church. See, Lord, just yesterday I was coming up here, Lord, 20 years ago, there was about 100 of them or so, and Lord, now they're seeing a few thousand people touched and I'm just so blessed by that. Thank you, Lord, that the greatest days as a church are ahead. Now, Lord, you've positioned them in the world's most strategic area. I'm you to bless them and help them. Amen. I'm going to entitle this message, and the title a little ominous, I'm sorry. I'm going to entitle it, The Dark Hour, Finding Victory in the Place of Pressure and Pain. There was a 16th century Spanish poet and Roman Catholic mystic wrote a very, very famous poem called The Dark Night of the Soul. This poem, the, the term, the, even the title of it is famous in kind of Catholic or even really Protestant mystic tradition. He basically describes those periods of time where great pressure and great pain come in our life to such a point we can hardly seemingly find God. He talks about why would God allow us to face this. Now, this term became kind of popular even in wider culture in 2007. All of you know who Mother Teresa was, kind of the iconic saint of this generation. And when she died, the Catholic Church published 66 of her previously unpublished letters. She had begged them not to. But they felt like there was such an insight into walking with God, they had to publish them. And basically these letters chronicle what it was like on the inside. We know the outside, all the people she helped, the poor, the needy, traveling the world. But these 66 letters documented her journey when she left kind of the safety of cloistered life and went out into the streets of Calcutta and India. And her pain and the darkness she experienced and the battles and the fighting kind of became the, the talk of popular culture. And the fact of it is, although not the severity and duration of hers, every one of God's kids will go through a period like this. Sooner or later, you're going to go through a time of testing where it is dark, where it is hard, but God is right in the middle of it transforming you. Now, why does this happen? Sometimes it's circumstantial. We just find ourselves facing such tough circumstances. It's hard. Other times it's contextual. Maybe we're in a church or in a family or in a nation or in a business that's just going through a dark time. It's not just individuals. Sometimes it just flat flows out of the very core of our being. God's touching things, dealing with things. I've been a Christian 49 years now, save when I was eight years old. I've preached 40. I look back on my life and Brett, and I know Brett's story, he could tell his own, I'm, I lay dying of hepatitis out of the jungles. No hope for me. God healed me. I had renal gland failure. They told me to quit the ministry. My wife had cancer twice. Epilepsy because she had a stroke while being treated for cancer. Um, We fought to save one son. He's alive now. We fought to save another for the last three years. And he's slowly getting better thanks to the prayers of people like you. So I know what it is to go through things. And I want to talk to you about surviving a time like that. Finding God in those painful times in your life, your business, your family. Now, as we look at the book of John for a moment, we find from the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus began to prepare his disciples. He talks a lot in the book of John about light and darkness, he being the light of the world coming into a dark place. But in John 9 4, he kind of strikes a different chord. He said, as long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. But a night's coming, a dark period is coming when no one can work. He was trying to prepare his disciples for what it might be like in one of those dark hours. In John 11, 9 and 10, on the way to heal, resurrect Lazarus from the dead, he said, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble for he sees by this world's light. But when he walks by night, he stumbles. He has no light. He's basically saying, guys, there's a time coming when there will be no natural light. Your circumstances are going to be so bad that you're groping around trying to figure out what to do. And finally, in John 12, 35 through 36, shortly before Gethsemane and his betrayal in Calvary, he says this. You're going to have this light a little while longer. He's speaking of himself. I'm not going to be physically with you much longer. You're not going to be able to see me in flesh and blood much longer. He's alluding to two things. One, the very fact that he's going to be brutally taken away from them, tortured and murdered and lay in a tomb three days. He's also speaking of the fact that he's eventually going to go back to his father and send the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on to say this. Walk while you have the light. In other words, don't waste your time. Get everything you can from this moment before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have it. Believe what I'm saying, guys. That's what he's saying. So you'll become children of light. In other words, the light will be inside of you. And even when it gets dark around you, you'll be okay. And then he left and hid himself from them. Why would he hide themselves? Why would he do that? because he was trying to prepare them how to find God when you can't naturally see him or hear him. Trying to prepare him, himself, getting them ready for a day and an hour that was coming. Then in the garden in Luke 22, 52 through 54, when he's surrounded by the officers of the temple guard, the chief priests, you have to understand, the very men that loved him when he was 12 years old Are now coming to kill him. And when they surrounded him in the garden. He said you know. I never did this in a hidden way. I preached in the temple. Day after day. And you never touched me. And you couldn't take me. But this is your hour. When darkness reigns. How do you survive those times in your life. When in the natural it feels like. Maybe God's been dethroned. Can hardly find him things going crazy, people hurting all around you, personal pain, family pain, national pain, whatever it might be, how do you survive that? And I beg you to listen to me today. Even Jesus, remember Jesus, fully God, fully man. And even though he was fully God, he chose to live as a human here to save us. Even Jesus in his humanity probably underestimated how that was going to affect him. In John 12, talking about this time, he said this, and this is before he ever went to Gethsemane. It's a triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Remember that palm brands and, you know, everybody's worshiping and everyone's crying and joyful and the whole city seems to be being saved. And then Jesus goes, now my soul is troubled. Disciples go, troubled, you're winning. He goes, oh, no, no, no. Now my soul is Troubled. What should I say? Dad, save me from this hour? Dad, get me out of this hard time? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Yet when he gets into Gethsemane and the reality of that darkness begins to impact his humanity, what's the first thing he said? Dad, if there's any way you can save me from this hour, I'd sure like it. But if not, I want plan A. What I want to do in the next few moments now Help prepare you, not just to survive, but to thrive in this painful place. When it gets dark, when it gets painful, I want to open up just a few short hours of the life of Jesus. But these are arguably the most intense hours of his life. How did Jesus stand and all of his disciples run? Go with me to Matthew 26, 36, the Garden of Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane basically means oil press. It is the place, beloved, where such pressure comes on you that God allows you to face such pressure that the anointing of God is squeezed out of you. What's an oil press? You take olives, you crush them to get the oil to make anointing oil. Now, Jesus is going into Gethsemane. In Matthew 26, 36, they'd finished basically the last supper. He'd washed their feet. He'd given the incredible teaching that we find in chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 of John. Then it says, he went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And those words initiated probably the darkest period of time in the earthly life of the Son of God. He'd had 40 days in the wilderness. It was longer. But these hours were the toughest, consolidated assault of the enemy and pressure he would ever make. How do you handle it? Principle number one, don't miss your moments of preparation. God will never allow you to be pressured and pressed without first preparing you for it. The problem is, you miss it. Let me illustrate this. In Luke chapter 9, 28-32, we find one of the three accounts in the Bible, the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, talk about a big celebration, an amazing service, this is it. Jesus is getting ready to go to the top of a mountain and Peter, James, and John are hanging out with the rest of the disciples and he goes, Peter, James, John, come with me to the top of the mountain. Peter thinks, man, I I get this. I'm finally getting promoted. Jesus finally realizes what a treasure he has in me and I'm getting right up to the mountain. I'm going to be up there with Jesus and his dad talking. And man, what a moment it is. I mean, think about this. You think you've been in a good service? In this service, Moses and Elijah came down from heaven, did some of the preaching, got Jesus ready to face the dark hour of his life. If that wasn't enough, the glory of God came down from heaven, transfigured Jesus. I mean, gave a glimpse of what he would look like in his resurrection glory. I mean, the very cloud of the Old Testament showed up. God talked audibly. Why would Jesus invite Peter, James, and John? It's because that moment wasn't simply meant to encourage them. It was meant to prepare them for what was just around the corner. Moses and Elijah came back. Why? To show them that if I can bring Moses and Elijah back, I can bring Jesus back too. But also their conversation was so important because they were encouraging Jesus and preparing him for all of his suffering. Why? Why did Peter, James, and John need to see this? Because in, in days later, months later, they would be in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus would turn to them and say, I need you to pray for me and stand with me. God was getting them ready. That was the good news was, the bad news was they slept through it. They woke up at the end of that service and missed the heart of it. Beloved, I beg you to hear this. Don't waste your moments in the light. Those services where the presence of God is so deep. Pastor Brett just seems unusually anointed. And the service is so great. When God shows off like this, he's trying to get your attention. He's preparing you for what is around the corner. One of the powerful things about being in the right local church with the men and women of God who seek God for you, is what they're saying is specifically for you. Don't miss it. Don't miss what the Holy Spirit tells you in your devotional life. Don't miss what the Word says. God will never press you without preparing you. Some of you know Robert's been very sick and he went off to play college football at 230 pounds, went to work in a refugee camp, destroyed his gallbladder, broke down his liver, ended up at 110 pounds, basically dying in my arms. Man, I tell you as a parent, you hold your son just in pain. It breaks something down on you. But months before, God had told me, Jim, your son's going to go through one of the most horrible times of his life. It's going to scare you to death. You're going to think he's going to die, but I'll be with him. Man, I'm so glad I didn't miss that. God told Robert the same thing three days later. He said, man, dad, I'm, I think the sickness is going to get worse and worse. But God told me, Robert, don't be afraid. I beloved, don't miss that. You see, don't miss it. I mean, if that wasn't bad enough, right in the book of Matthew 26, 31 through 35, Jesus looked at his disciples. Imagine being in the small group of Jesus. Jesus is your small group leader and the fellow members are the first 12 apostles. That's not bad. Jesus washing your feet, giving these great teachings. And then kind of this kind of beautiful, you know, Dramatic moment. Jesus goes, oh, and by the way, before I forget and you're going back home. Tonight, every one of you is going to betray me. See you later. I mean, it just betrayed you. It stunned him. I mean, this was the core of his leadership team. And they weren't cowards. Every one of them was risking their life to follow him, to be in Jerusalem with him. They could have killed him in a minute. They're brave men. But only Peter was stupid enough to open his mouth. Let me just say there's certain thoughts you might as well just keep buried in your head. It's even worse when you say them. He goes, hold on, Jesus. You must have forgotten that I'm here. I'm Peter. Remember, you told me I'm the rock. I'm like, I'm it, baby. And he said, I know the rest of these guys are a little faulty. I thought the same thing myself. And there's no doubt everyone's going to fall away from Grace Covenant Church. Pastor Brent, I'll be loyal to you. I'll never miss church. Don't worry. Jesus goes, Peter. In his mind, he's thinking, boy, this boy is just, even after three and a half years, he's still dumb. He said, Peter, listen to me, son. (laughs) Now, you realize Peter's arguing with God, who's fully omniscient. Jesus says, Peter, let me break this down for you. Satan asked my permission to press your life a bit, to sift you. The good news is I'm praying for you. The bad news is I told him yes. Why would God allow the enemy to, to attack us every once in a while? Because the enemy is playing right into the hands of God. And what's going to come out of you, even when you feel like the devil's winning, is going to smash his kingdom and develop you. Listen now, Peter, let me break it down. You know that rooster that crows every morning? Peter goes, yeah, that, I know that crows every morning, right before light. Jesus goes, that rooster going to crow tomorrow and you will have denied me three times. Peter says, wait a minute. I know you're infallible. I know you may be God, but I'm Peter. It isn't going to happen. I'll die before I deny. Now, how can we do that? How can we sit right in the middle of the word of God to save us? How? One, we're all a bit prideful. We overestimate our ability and we underestimate the hell that's coming. Don't miss your warnings, beloved. Don't miss them. Secondly, don't miss your practice. In Luke twenty-two thirty-nine, 39, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. Catch the word usual. Jesus had been going to the Mount of Olives for a number of years. Maybe as a boy, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say he'd go to the Mount of Olives and pray. At 12, he was the most anointed being on the planet, went back home for 18 more years served as a carpenter why his, his earthly stepfather died took care of his mom and raised his brothers and sisters probably he'd been to Gethsemane every time they came to Jerusalem he'd go there and pray it wasn't the first time he had to pray and hear me now beloved if you don't learn to seek God when it's easy you'll have a lot of trouble when it's hard Here's what I found in my own life. Many Christians, when crisis breaks out and someone they love seems to be dying or their marriage is hurting or their business is falling apart or their finances are tanked or there's just some scary thing, they got two big problems. Number one, they desperately need to receive from God. Number two, they never ever practiced and learned how when it didn't seem to matter. And one of the reasons people that live in a cycle of crisis, one of the reasons they do is this. Because they only seek God when there's a crisis. They never really learn how to hear him, and they continue to have crisis. Don't waste this. When you go home, don't waste those moments. My mom and dad made me read, read the Bible. Been read the Bible every day since eight years old. My brother and sister learned to read in the Bible at the kitchen table. Why? My mom and dad knew that word will save your soul. He'll point you to Christ. Don't waste it, I beg you. Every day, find some minutes just to open that Bible and get quiet and ask the Lord to speak to you. Why? Because sooner or later, it really is going to matter. If you don't seek him when it doesn't seem to matter, you'll have a lot of trouble finding him when it does. So what happens when that crisis overwhelms us because we've never really learned to know him and hear him, we're affected by two pretty bad problems. How in the crisis of life from Kathy's cancer to those things, I mean, I can never forget what they told me she had cancer in the brain. I was driving home to my small children. God said, don't pray for your wife. Boy, I said, why? Waste the time, she's going to be fine. And it proved to be true. I was scared to death till I heard the voice of my master and peace flooded my soul. But I've been practicing since I was eight. You could practice this thing. Don't waste it, I beg you. Don't waste your moments in this church. Therefore, you, if God brought you here, that means He's speaking the very things you need. Don't waste it. Don't just enjoy it. He'll save you here. Next, I pray find your partnerships. This is mind boggling, Matthew 26 37 to 38. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be tr- sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, this is mind boggling. Catch this, it's important. He'd been bringing the disciples to Gethsemane every time he came to Jerusalem for three and a half years. But he'd always left them at the beginning of the garden and went in a little deeper than himself and prayed. This time, he brought Peter, James, and John. Why? he finally believed they were mature enough to stand with him in this hellish hour. The one thing he learned in 40 days in the wilderness was this, I don't ever want to do that alone again. I want my covenant friends with me. Now hear me, watch this. He gets Peter, James, and John. This is real important. And it says, when he began to be sorrowful, Jesus didn't wait until he was half dead. He realized If you really want to be helped by your covenant friends or your pastor, you better give them time to help you. After 40 years of preaching, here's the great question. Why'd they wait so long? Why did you wait until your spouse moved out to come and get help for your marriage? Why'd you wait till you're bankrupt to come get help for your marriage? Why did you wait till your kid was breaking your heart to come ask me about childhood? Jesus, the moment he began to hurt, he told his friends, man, I need your help. Now, look, catch this for a minute. What if Pastor Brett came to your house and you really needed to see him and he walked into your house or you're in the hospital and you're just really happy and Pastor Brett goes, man, before I pray for you, I'm having a pretty bad day myself. and that's, My soul's weird to death. I may just quit the ministry. Can you please pray? I have just kind of messed you up. You think, Wait a minute. I'm paying you to be strong. Now, <laughs> why doesn't Pastor Brett have to do that with you? Because unlike most ministers in America, he's built his Peter and his James and his John. Don't wait to crisis to find a friend. I have to wonder why so many ministers in America turn their sermons kind of their own personal sharing. This is my catharsis. And why? Because they don't have anyone else to talk to. Great. Brett does. I do. Listen, I do. He's one of them. Love it. Build your friendships. Build them now. You'll need them. The one song I have trouble singing is You're All I Need. The fact of it is God is not all I need. Maybe all I need to take me to heaven, but isn't all I need to make it down here? He got a big family and I need every one of them. The good news is God's your dad. The bad news is you may not like all your brothers, sisters, uncles and aunts. But you need them. Don't wait till hell comes to your door to have an accountability partner. Don't wait to find your pastor till your life is drowning. Don't wait. Don't wait. Then there's a proximity issue. Now, this is mind-boggling to me. Matthew 26, 39, going a little farther. Now, here's, it's interesting. Your casual friends you don't really bring into your life. Catch this here. Your covenant friends, people that pastor you and love you and care for you and walk life with you, you bring a little farther in. But you can't stop there. Jesus went a little farther and got alone. Now, catch this, it's subtle. In fact, when you look at a scripture like Luke 22:41, 41, the Bible gets real specific. It says he went, a stone's throw away. You think, well, how far is a stone throw? depends on your arm and how heavy the stone is. Let's just say, for sake of conversation, it's 50 yards. Why is Jesus so emphatic on the distance? It's because this is the key to surviving. When hell comes, you've got to stay close enough to your covenant family for them to see you and know how you're doing and pray for you, yet enough distance to receive from God alone and know Him. And most people, when crisis hits them, they run to one or the other. If God seems to fail them, they run to people. If people seem to fail them, they run to God. You need both. You just need both. I've walked with God a long time, I can hear His voice. But in the middle, when Robert was at his sickest, getting ready to have surgery, which I might add didn't seem to do much in a day, Kathy, I was sitting there. Kathy was having surgery on Tuesday to repair her shoulder after having knee surgery three months before. Robert was having surgery on Thursday, and there I was sitting in my home. I was worshiping, hearing God. The phone rang. It was Pastor Brett. I said, "Where are you, Pastor Brett?" He goes, "I'm at the airport." I go, "Huh? Where are you going?" He says, I'm on the way to your house. I'm getting on the plane. I said, well, why didn't you tell me you are coming? He said, because you wouldn't have let me. <laughs> showed him my house. He's busy. stayed two, three hours, prayed for Kathy, prayed for Robert, prophesied over Robert, prayed for me. And I'll tell you something, at that moment, I needed bread as much as I needed God. You better know your Peter, James, and John when hell knocks at your door. You need both. That's why you're in this church. Well, I'm in this church to listen to Pastor Brett. No, you're not. That's only one reason. You're in to find some relationships and friendship and pastoring and caring. That's the other reason you're here. Pray. That ought to be obvious. Matthew 26, 36. Well, Jesus spent a whole lot of time praying. The disciples spent a whole lot of time sleeping. I'm getting out of time, so I got to do this fast. He prayed. He said, Peter, James, John. He said, listen, boys. He went to pray, came back there sound asleep, kicked him awake lovingly. Guys, you couldn't pray an hour. Oh, we're sorry. We weren't really sleeping, Lord. We were resting our eyes to have strength to pray more, maybe hoping we'd have a dream. Peter, you're filled with good intentions. Your spirit's willing to make your stand, but son, if you don't pray and find my father like I am. You want not have strength, you're going to fall away, son. He went back, prayed more, since they weren't praying for him, an angel came down and helped him. Went back again, he kicked him away. He said, wake up, boys. It's just too late. Two times he woke him up. The third time it was too late, and hell itself descended on them. In the end, the disciples ran because they slept, and Jesus stood because he prayed. Found God. Strengthened himself. My last two points, I'll have to summarize into one. I talked about having perspective. Jesus had perspective. Why the disciples were scared to death and that mob surrounded him. In Matthew 26, 55 through 56, Jesus said, listen, you couldn't take me while I was in the day, so you're sneaking out here at night to mess with me. Let me tell you right now, the only reason you can take me is the prophets in the Old Testament said it would happen. And I'm, you, think I, you think you're taking me? In reality, you are falling right into my father's plan." to change the world. Even when it feels like God's been dethroned in your life and all you have is pain everywhere, he's right in the middle of you, it's just too dark to see. I close with this thought. Where do you find the power to suffer? You could, I'll give you these two passages, summarize it, and Pastor Brett will come up here. John 18, 4 through 9, the mobs come. And in that mob are the very men who at 12, when he was 12, loved him. He's surrounded by his own people. There's no betrayal worse than a betrayal by those who should be your friends and love you. They weren't just anyone. This wasn't Romans out to kill him. His own people. Disciples scared to death. He's standing. They're waking up. They don't they have any faith. How many of you have real faith waking up out of a nap when you should be praying? Like those vacations you take and decide to vacation from God too and you come home more tired than, it, than you left? Who do you want, Jesus said? We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. They couldn't really recognize him. I'd have said, man, he left about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Jesus said, I am, Old Testament covenant language, I am he. When he said that, such a glory came on him. The Bible says they fell backwards and laid on the ground. They were stunned by who he was. Hid their faces. Disciples still afraid. He goes, why are you laying down there? Who do you want? Uh, Jesus Okay, here I am, but you better not touch any of my friends, let him go. why they still run after that? It's because if you don't learn to follow the light when it's easy, you'll be blind to it when it's dark. He was all over that thing. Finally, Peter staggers up, he goes, I'll save you, Jesus. Pulls out his sword that he'd been hiding out with for three and a half years in case things really got bad and prayer failed. Swings at one of the servants, he's just an idiot, he couldn't even kill a man right. Tried to decapitate him, only got his ear, and Jesus goes, okay, boy. This is the food paraphrase. you got to be kidding me. Put that stupid thing away. You keep messing with that, you'll kill yourself one day. Now put it away. He said, okay, come over here. Where'd your ear go? Oh, I can't. Picks the ear up, prays over, ear comes back on, they're just done. He goes, Peter, before I go, let me tell you a couple things. Why are you trying to save me from my dad's will? Boy, don't you realize the implica—he's thinking to himself, maybe there's the implications, like you're gonna go to hell if I don't do this. Now listen, Peter, I don't really need your help. There are twelve legions of angels floating around out here. How do I know why you were sleeping when them talked to me? And all I gotta do is say, "Daddy, I don't want it." Daddy, help me, and he'll rescue me. But I don't want to be rescued from my dad's will. I just don't though my dad's will seems to be very painful for me right now, it's going to break the powers of hell, and I'm going to come into resurrection glory. Now you tell me what happened after seeing the mob slain in the spirit, hearing about angels in a miracle. They all ran. They ran. Because if you don't get the light on the inside of you, if you don't learn the ways of God, when it's easy, when it's hard, you won't see his hand. Please join me up here, Pastor Brad. This morning, God wants to touch you where you are. I don't have time to summarize all these points. But if you're this morning and you'd say, Pastor Jim, I need to find God just like you're talking about. I need his strength for where I am. Put your hand up. I'm going to pray for you. Put him up where I can see him. All around the room, I see you. Holy Spirit, help us. This is a magnificent people. You position them to bring glory to you whether they're in Gethsemane, coming out, going in, or have someone that is, meet them, help them. Lord, no matter where we are today, every one of us has a Gethsemane coming sometime, not physically killed, but a place of great pressure. Make these simple principles from this ancient story, life to the very bone.